He is risen. He is risen indeed. There you go. Amen. I'm so glad you're here today. What a glorious day to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord, the resurrection of Jesus over death, over sin, over guilt, over the powers of the enemy, over all demonic forces. He has become the conquering king. Amen? Amen. Because there's life in him, there can be life in us. We believe in him, and we're here to celebrate that today. You know, it's... Um, it's this day, of course, that we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. But today is also another resurrection day of sorts because today is the seven-year anniversary of the beginning of Vertical Church. Yeah, amen, amen. So the actual date was yesterday, but it was on a Sunday that we began seven years ago. Two churches that um, were walking in some great difficulty and pain. God brought together and birthed new life. And uh, we're all sitting in the, the overflow of what God has done here over the past seven years. And we are confident there's so much more ahead that God wants to do and will do through this church. Amen? Right here in Ovilla. So you should have received one of these when you came in. This is for taking notes today. So it's going to match what's on the board. This is your take-home gift to uh, remember, of course, that the cross heals and that by the stripes of Jesus we are healed, amen? And that's not just uh, Sunday religious talk, that is life talk. Jesus came so that we might have life and have it more abundant. Not just heaven someday, but heaven today in this life. That we might experience the fullness of what it means to know Jesus, have peace with God through Jesus, and that be lived out in our life. The Bible doesn't accidentally use the term healed when it talks about what he accomplished for us. By his stripes, by his sufferings, we can experience healing at the depths of who we are in every part of our life, in our relationships, in our thinking, in our emotions, in our behaviors. Jesus does heal. Amen? Amen. Are we here? Yeah? Amen? Amen. All right. So our message today is called Power over dis-ease. Now, we all are familiar with the term disease because we know what physical disease is. We know what it's like when our body uh, is infected, when there is some type of sickness that comes into our body and we are weakened, we are sickened by the disease. The Latin word for disease is actually the phrase dis-ease, to not be at ease, to not be in a place of health, to not be in comfort. And Jesus came that we might be healed from our dis-ease, amen? He came to establish life in us through him, and the Bible tells us that we are healed by faith in him. So, you can grab your, your note page there, follow along. I'm gonna fill in some blanks on the page here, and we'll just have a good old time today, right? So, let's start over here in this corner talking about sin, because Dis-ease came into the world through sin. It was never part of God's original plan for Adam and Eve, although it has always been his eternal plan that we, may know, that we might know life in him, amen? But when Adam was in the garden, God gave him and Eve a command. 
said, you shall not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In other words, I want you to trust me for the knowledge of all things. I want you to trust me for how you live your life. I want you to trust me for where your provision comes from. I want you to trust me for what I say life is really all about. And the serpent came along and suggested, you know, has God really said that the day you eat of that fruit that you'll really die, that death would come, that dis-ease would enter the realm because you chose to do your own thing? Don't you think you should get that fruit yourself? Don't you think you should do your own thing? And so Adam ate the fruit of, I'll do it myself. Adam ate the fruit of, I'll do it my way. Adam ate the fruit of, I don't trust you. Adam ate the fruit, and the minute he did, death came into the experience of life on earth. And that death permeated into all of creation. Not just the garden, but the entire planet. Not just the planet, but the entire created universe was infected by the effects of sin. Sin came in and sin brought death. And when we then follow and walk in sin in our own lives, which we all have, No one in this room has not sinned. We have all at some point sinned. And the minute you sin, death comes into your life. Dis-ease comes into life. Disorder, chaos comes into life. And the soul of Adam and Eve were affected and infected by sin as well. And you can tell when there has been sin because sin has some symptoms. Disease has some symptoms. That's how your doctor will diagnose your disease by asking you the symptoms that you have. When you and I sin, there are some symptoms. There is guilt, this heaviness that follows, this awareness that I have fallen short, this problem that is now weighing upon me because sin is the soul Dis-ease. We'll draw a little disease little thing here just to give us a little reminder of what this is, right? Hope you got your pen, paper, marker. Hope you're doing little artistic drawings there along the way. Cool, all right? Dis-ease. Sin is the soul dis-ease, and it produces guilt in our life. It also produces things like anxiety. You and I were not meant to have to live stressed, tense, nervous all the time. You and I weren't meant to have to live with worry. You and I weren't meant to have to live with the heaviness of guilt. Adam and Eve, when they sinned, they instantly went and hid from God. They hid themselves. They covered themselves. They tried to protect themselves. They ran from God because they were covered in guilt in that moment. They were covered with anxiety in that moment. The symptoms of sin were working themselves out in them. There was dis-ease within them. They were no longer comfortable just walking with God in the cool of the day. There was dis-ease within them. And man, there's all kind of soul issues that come when we sin. These were just a few. We could go on up here for a long time and talk about anxiety and depression and guilt and sadness. I'm gonna put another one up here that you're probably gonna think, wait a minute, you've gone too far, dude. This is crazy. I'm gonna tell you, this one is actually a symptom of sin. I can say this because I've dealt with this. 
I know what it's like to walk into a room and see things out of disorder and feel like I'm instantly uncomfortable until I can go straight everything in the room. Hello, anybody with me? Okay, thank you for the 12 of you. Awesome. It's real, it's a real thing. You know where that comes from? That's not just a personality quirk. That's not just something society has put on me. That begins the minute sin entered my life and it is an after effect of that sin because I think I have to make my things all right before I can be at ease. I have to do it. I have to make it right. I have to be at peace. I have to have everything just right. I have everything turned just right, sitting on the table in just a certain way, things not out of line, things in their place. Hello, you know what I'm talking about. That is a symptom of me thinking I have to make my life right first before it can be at peace. That's just an overflow from the garden of Adam and Eve thinking, I will make my stuff right first before I trust in God. So I have to bring my dis-ease to God and say, God, it's not about me and my ability to frame my life perfectly. It's not about me and my fear and my guilt and anxiety. In fact, I have to come to you because I am in desperate need of a savior, amen? Now, the Bible says that this dis-ease is passed on. It is passed on from generation to generation. Adam passed it on to his family. His family passed it on to their family. And the Bible tells the story over and over of generations who pass on the dis-ease of sin. We follow all the way up to the great King David. King David, the man who had a heart for God, but a man who was a sinner, a man who made a series of bad choices in his life that landed him in a very, very dark place. A man who had an affair with another woman. A man who had that woman's husband murdered so that he would not be found out. David was in a bad spot. He committed his sin. And instead of confessing that sin to God, which is what you do with sin, instead of confessing it, he attempted to hide it. He attempted to cover it. He attempted to do what Adam and Eve did. And the Bible tells us, because David recorded what it was like in that moment. He recorded what it was like when he was weighed down with guilt and anxiety and depression and OCD and fear and all kind of other stuff. Look at what Psalm 32 says. David writes and he says this. When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. David said there was a physical component to my guilt. The more I just hid my sin away, the more I refused to go to God, the more I refused to repent, the more it actually caused physical dis-ease in my body. He goes on and says, for day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. He had guilt and the hand of God was just heavy upon him. He said, my vitality or my strength, my energy was turned into the drought of summer. He was filled with all kinds of shame and guilt and hiding. And as a result, he was weighed down by his sin. This is what sin does to us. It puts us in other places of where we get to this place of self-hatred, where we just despise ourselves, where we try to punish ourselves, where we are all wrapped up and we are depressed. And we try to find ways to cover our depression 
and it only darkens. These are all of the effects, the lingering effects of sin in our life. Even anger is a manifestation of when there's been sin present in our life and we've refused to yield our life to God. This is the dis-ease that sin brings upon us. Now, the Bible is also clear that there is one who has been the uh, originator, the tempter of this sin, and that is Satan himself. He is the one who has sought to steal and to kill and destroy. He is the one who saw Adam and Eve in the garden. He was the one who wanted to stop God's plan. He was the one who tempted them, who lured them away from the goodness of God. He was the one who wanted to punish them. He was the one who wanted them to blame God. He was the one who wanted to put it on God as the one who was not being good to them because Satan is the enemy of the soul. He is after the soul of man because it was created in the image of God. He is after you because he doesn't want you to experience the peace of God. He is doing his best to try to infect you with sin, to try to discourage you, to try to pull you away from the goodness of God, to keep you away from trusting in him. And so he wants you to blame God. He wants you to isolate do you know that one of the most dangerous things you can do when you get caught or when you're stuck in some type of temptation and sin or discouragement time in your life, the worst thing you can do is to isolate and pull away? Because if you isolate and you pull away, then you're not talking to anybody. Then you're listening to the voice in your head. Then the enemy has you captive. Then he will do his work in your life. Instead of being with others who can speak truth to you, who can speak hope to you, that you can confess what's going on in your life, isolation is the enemy's tactic. He wants, to, he wants you to blame God. He wants you to isolate. He wants you to punish yourself. Adam and Eve pulled away in the garden and thought they would just take care of their issue. They all of a sudden had their, their, the glory of God removed from, them life, from their life. And so they went out themselves and said, we're gonna make our own coverings. We'll get some leaves and we'll fashion our own clothes. We will cover our sin. We will take care of this. I will do this. And it's staggering how often we do that today how the world would seek to try to just punish themselves for their sin rather than turning to a savior for their sin. And when the enemy does this, then he quickly gets us wrapped up in any kind of addiction, whether it be drugs, alcohol, food, the attention of others, whatever it might be, and we end up being focused on death. The enemy is consumed with death and his goal is to get you consumed with death. There's a slope that he takes people down who will listen to him. They'll first start by yielding to a temptation. They'll be overwhelmed with guilt. They'll deny the need to repent. They'll get stuck in worry and anxiety. They'll turn to more sin to cover the pain. They'll turn to addictions to cover the pain and it gets darker and darker and darker until the enemy convinces someone that the only way of escape 
is to take their own life because the enemy is consumed with death and he wants to destroy what God has created. This is the dis-ease of sin and this is the enemy of the soul, the diseaser, Satan himself. The good news of the gospel is that while we were sinners, while we were in our dis-ease, God sent his son so that we might have life. He sent his son so that we might know what life looks like, so that we might know what heaven is like. Now, before we get to Jesus, there's one piece here that we've got to include about Satan. There's one strategy that he uses that is his go-to strategy. That is the thing that you and I must be aware of. If you miss this strategy, you'll be a slave to him all your days. If you miss this strategy, you'll never walk in victory. The Bible says many things about who Satan is. He is the father of lies. He's a murderer. He's a deceiver. But there's a title that's used twice in scripture that refers to something that Satan does. And he is actively using this tool and this strategy even today with even Christians. And that title and that word is accuser, accuser. It's a word that means to charge someone with fault or blame, accuser. The book of Revelation chapter 12 uses this to describe Satan, but also the book of Zechariah in the Old Testament uses this same word. As it gives a picture there, we're jumping into the middle of a story where it says in this, in verse in Zechariah, it says this, that he showed me Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. It's referring to one of the men of God. And this man of God is there and Satan is at his right hand accusing, casting charges at this man. Keep reminding him of his sin. Keep pointing out all of his failures. Keep pointing out all of his faults. And this is the tactic that the enemy uses in lives today. He uses it with those who are not saved, but he uses it even with Christians. To keep accusing, keep charging, keep putting your sin back in front of you. Because if Satan can keep your sin in front of you, he can keep you under him. So here's the way it works. Let's have Alan come stand up here. Come on, Alan. I won't hurt you. You're not worried. Have to stand right here in the middle. So let's say here's Alan, man of God. He is, pursues God. He comes to Christ. He confesses his sin. Here's what the enemy wants to do. Hey, Alan, I remember that thing you did a long time ago. You remember that thing you did? You don't have to tell me. But that thing you did, I know what it is, and I'm gonna keep reminding you about it. I'm gonna keep pointing it out to you. I'm gonna keep making you feel bad about it. I'm gonna keep pointing it out. Every time you go through a struggle, I'm gonna say, see, that's because of that scene you did a long time ago. That's what the enemy does. He'll keep bringing up your past. He'll keep bringing up last week. He'll keep bringing up two years ago. He'll keep bringing up 12 years ago, and he'll keep putting his sin right in front of him. Because if the enemy can keep Alan's sin right in front of him, if he can keep him feeling guilty, anxious, OCD, hating himself, depressed, angry, bitter, worrying, if he can keep Alan in all of that, guess what Alan will never do? 
stand in the glory of who Christ is. And Alan will never walk out in faith in his life. Alan will isolate. Alan will pull away. Alan will blame God. Alan will stay confused. Alan won't stand a chance as long as his sin is still in front of him. And the enemy knows that. And he wants to keep charging you over and over again for your sin, for what you've done, and keep reminding you and keep it in front of you. Give Alan a hand. Thank you very much. What a devastating place to be at this place where you just keep getting charged over and over again for the same thing you did. Can you imagine opening up your bank app and realizing that that thing that you purchased on Amazon, you just got charged a second time for it? You'd be on that phone quick, right? And then all of a sudden you open the bank app again, you realize it happened a third time, a fourth time, a 10th time, a 12th time, a 30th time. You're getting charged for the same thing over and over again and you just bought it once. It'd be terrible. Not near as terrible as the enemy charging you over and over again for your sin and saying, you're never gonna amount to anything. God could never bless your life. You'll never be used by God. There's no wonder your marriage is erect. There's no wonder your life is erect because of that thing you did back in 2003, because of that thing you did back in 2012, because of that thing you did last week. It's your fault. It's always gonna be this way. You're never gonna change. You're always gonna be this way. That is the tactic of the enemy, to keep your sin in front of you. You hear me? Now, this is where Jesus steps in. This is where a savior comes. This is where the powerful and mighty son of God shows up on the scene to rescue people who have been charged over and over again for their sin. This is where the mighty Jesus shows up to become the redeemer and the savior of all who have been wrecked by sin. Long before Satan whispered his lie in the garden, God had already etched a plan into eternity. And the Old Testament tells us so many beautiful pictures about this Jesus who would come. You see, Jesus is pictured in the ark that Noah and his family got into and escaped the coming judgment. That spotless lamb that was offered in the tabernacle, it's a picture of Jesus being offered for our sin. That fourth man in the fire for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is Jesus in the fire with us in the midst of our pain. That high priest who enters into the temple to offer a sacrifice and atone for our sin, it's a picture of Jesus entering in for us. The shepherd who leads us beside still waters and makes us lie down, it's a picture of Jesus who has come to set us free. That mysterious wheel within a wheel vision that Ezekiel saw is Jesus and all this wonder and his glory and his power. The one whose heel would be bruised in the garden, it said, it was Jesus. The one who would crush the serpent's head, that's Jesus who crushes his head. And he shows up on the scene to set captives free. He doesn't come to just pity us in our sin. Jesus doesn't show up to say, oh, you poor things. Let me just sit with you in your sin. Let me just help you just a little bit. I'll just pat you on the knee so you can feel better. No, that is not why Jesus came. Jesus came as a warrior to set captives free, amen? Jesus shows up and he comes to remove our sin. Here's what the book of Colossians says. 
Colossians chapter two, verse 13, it says, and you and me being dead in our trespasses, when we were in our dis-ease, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. This was the work of Jesus. He would come and he would pay for sin and he, <coughs> excuse me, and he would make a way for you and I to be released, forgiven of all the charges against us. The verse or passage goes on, it says this, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us. He took all those Amazon charges. He took all the charges that was on your account. He took every moment of your sin from your past. He took every guilt, every shame, every failure, every weakness. He took with him to the cross because they were the handwriting of requirement. They were the law's judgment. They were all of your failures and guilt and shame. They were all taken with him to the cross. He took them there because they're contrary to us. It's not what you were made for. You weren't made to have to live with guilt and shame and fear and worry and anxiety and all that stuff. That's not what you were made for. The passage goes on, it says this, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. He took in himself your sin. He took in himself the judgment, and he had it nailed to him on the cross. And then the verse goes on, and it says, having disarmed principalities and powers. Watch this. Jesus came to bear our dis-ease. Jesus bore it completely in himself. The greatest pain and torture of the crucifixion was not the nails, was not the rough wood, was not the crown of thorns, was not the beating on the back. It was Jesus bearing in himself our guilt and our shame. It was Jesus bearing in himself all of the judgment against sin. He was taking the punishment for our sin. He was taking the wrath of God against sin. He bore in that moment the Father's wrath against sin so that you and I would not have to. He bore our dis-ease and he forgave our sin. Now, Jesus paid for sin, but then Jesus forgave the sin. I hope you don't believe what some people say that when you get to heaven one day as a believer that you'll have to there see if you have done more good deeds than sin. I hope you don't believe that because that is nowhere in the Bible. The Bible says that Jesus died once for sin, so that all who come to him would have their sins forgiven, released, removed from them as far as the east is from the west, never to be charged again. That horrible recurring Amazon charge to never happen again. That charge against your soul that said, sinner, 
failure, loser, weak, not enough, never gonna measure up. Jesus took all of that and he forgave it. He released it from your charge and he calls us to that kind of freedom in him. Amen? Amen. That is why the book of Romans would say, there is now, therefore, no condemnation, no charge against your account for your sin. But I'm gonna tell you, that's an act of faith to believe that because I know what you want to do because I know what the enemy's trying to get you to do is to take that charge again for your sin. Keep paying for it. Keep remembering it. Keep telling yourself how terrible you are instead of celebrating the fact that you have been redeemed by Jesus Christ and made new. So he bore our sin. He forgave our sin. And I love what this Colossian passage says because it says he disarms the enemy. That when Jesus took to the cross our sin, in that moment, he paid for it and then disarmed the enemy. He took out of the enemy's hand what the enemy would use against us. And you know what the enemy uses against you? Your sin. He wants to keep using it against you. He wants to keep recalling it. He wants to keep threatening you with it. He wants to tempt you into more of it because he knows if he can get you to sin, then he'll have more to charge you with. He'll have more in his weaponry to guilt you, shame you, condemn you, keep you pressed down, keep you from walking in peace, to keep you afraid, keep you anxious, keep you worried, keep you bitter, keep your mind confused, keep your thoughts destroyed, keep your emotions dysfunctional. That's what the enemy wants to do. And so Jesus comes along and he pays for your every sin. Past, present, future. And for those who receive that, they have the power to be more than a conqueror because the enemy now comes to someone like Alan and says, oh, I remember that thing you did. You're never gonna be anything, Alan. I mean, your, your marriage, there's no way. I know what you did before. Your kids, no way, because I know what you've done. Your business, uh-uh. I know, where you, I know what you're doing. I know what you've done. I know where you are. I know what your past is. And Alan, now, as a follower of Jesus Christ, and say, I have entered a covenant with Jesus Christ, and he has chosen to remember my sins no more. There is no condemnation for me in Jesus Christ because he conquered, paid for them all, and removed them all at the cross. And Alan can say, I'm free, dude. Say what you want. Amen? It puts you in a place of now conquering victory. You can say no. You can say no to the guilt, no to the shame, no to the threats, no to the bitterness. You can say no to all of that and not have to walk in all the anxiety and the dis-ease of life, amen? This is why the Bible would say, by his stripes, by his suffering, we are healed because we have a king who has come. We have one who has borne our sin. We have one who has won completely and he is our reigning king, amen? 
Let's wrap this up today. We've been healed. We've seen what sin says, the dis-ease that it brings. We've seen the power that Satan has to be the enemy of the soul, how Jesus has come to heal us in our soul. But then the Bible has something to say about who we are in him now. The New Testament repeats the phrase that's written for us in Isaiah 53 that says, and by his stripes, we are healed. We are made new. There's some things about me now that are different because now I am the one who is forgiven. I am the one who is loved and I am the one who is secure in Jesus Christ. I don't have to live in doubt anymore about my future, my eternity, because I know God is for me, with me, and working in me, amen? His word is alive and he is doing a work of healing me. <clears throat> so the enemy can come to me and he can accuse me. And I can say, enemy, back off because Jesus has paid for my sin. The enemy can attempt to point out my failures and I can say, enemy, I want you to see who I am in Jesus Christ. This is now my identity. I am not who I was before. The enemy can try to tempt me and I can say I'm more than a conqueror in Jesus Christ. The enemy can try to make me fear what's ahead for me and I simply point out what's ahead for him and I don't have to fear anymore. The enemy can try to make me lose my hope but I remember who my savior is. He can tell me and try to in me with dis-ease again, but I tell him I am healed. And I am healed the day I put my faith in Jesus Christ. In that moment, you are redeemed. You are made whole. You are made at peace with God. So he heals you the minute you believe in Jesus Christ. But he also starts doing a work of healing. He starts healing things in my own emotions, in my mind, in my behavior, my relationships. He starts healing all of those areas in my life. He starts healing for me personally, areas I've walked in, anxiety and depression and, and fear. He starts changing all those in me because I start seeing who I am in Jesus Christ. I start gaining more power and more victory, more conquering boldness in my life. But I can also know this. There's a day coming of final healing. There's stuff in this life that I might not experience the full healing of because we live in a body that is affected by sin. It is in the process of decay. And unless Jesus returns prior to our death, there'll be a day you and I will die. And we will go to be with the Lord in heaven if we belong to him. And there'll be a day when our body even will be resurrected, when we'll have a new body we will see Jesus face to face and ultimately and fully and completely, we will be healed, every part of us, amen? Every mind, part of our mind, emotions, will, body, every part of who we are fully and freely healed. But until that day, I can now rest in knowing by his stripes I'm healed. And so I can say with confidence, there's no weapon formed against me that will prosper. 
Amen? I can say with confidence, all things are being worked together for my good by my God. I can say with confidence that nothing shall separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I can say that I have not been given a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. I can say that I know there is no condemnation for me in Jesus Christ. And I can say all of this with confidence. I can know that nothing can snatch me out of his hand. I can know that I have a savior to go to in the midst of my struggles. I don't have to go through some other religious figure to get to my God. I can go directly into his presence. Amen. All of these are ours in Jesus Christ, and it's because of what he did on the cross and through the resurrection that we are healed. Amen. Amen. Bow your heads with me. Father, I'm so grateful that while we were in our dis-ease, you sent your son to take upon himself our dis-ease. And he bore the ugliness, the darkness, the pain, the guilt, and the shame. He bore it all in himself. He became everything that we were so that we could become everything that he is. So Father, I thank you that though the enemy thought he had won, Though the enemy thought he had brought an end to our Lord Jesus, the resurrection proves that his death was accepted, his blood was enough, and our sins are forgiven. So Father, we rejoice in that today. I thank you that by the stripes and suffering of Jesus, we are healed, and that you are continuing to heal us in the process, and that one day we'll stand in your presence in the fullness of glory, and give you all the praise because you are the one who will have healed all things. And you will be the one we'll give all of our worship to. I pray this truth will be how we live now as your people. We will live boldness, confidence, peace, truth. Because of your truth in us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.